Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. This is what the Word of God has to say. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. That is, they, together they make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed, contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Sacrifice and giving are inseparable parts of worship. I want that to be the foundational truth this morning. Sacrifice and giving are inseparable parts of worship. If you worship, you sacrifice. If you worship, you give. It's just part of those, those two things go together. Often when the subject of giving is discussed in the church, we, we speak about it in terms of a command as something you ought to do, you should do, you must do. And, and certainly that is appropriate. And there are places in Scripture we can certainly go to to make the case that we're commanded to, to give and give generously and, and how we're to give. But there's a more fundamental way to understand giving, and that is as a response to worship. In other words, it's not something that's commanded, something you do out of obligation. It's something that it's responsive to who you're worshiping. The first biblical reference to a tithe or giving a tenth is found in Genesis 14, where Abraham gives an, a, a tithe, a tenth, to Melchizedek, the priest. His offering's not in obedience to a specific command but a rather a free will offering of worship. He is responding to worship and so he give, in worship. And so he gives a, an offering to the priest. Scripture calls believers to give to the Lord sacrificially, but true offerings of worship are given not out of obligation, but out of a heart of worship. This morning I'll be preaching from verses 41 through 44. That's specifically Jesus drawing attention to this widow who puts in a very small offering. But I included this morning in the reading, verses 38 through 40, to capture the, the contrast that I think Jesus was trying to capture as he was pointing out this widow to his disciples. He warned his disciples to beware of the scribes who were celebrated for their piety, their, right, their, their external righteousness, and they were celebrated and, 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 and given great attention because they were, they were excellent, expert law keepers. Anybody in the community 
when you thought about who kept the law the best, they would point to the scribes and go, those guys are the ones who are most intense about it, most passionate about it, maybe most expert in it and keeping the law. His warning focused on their desire to be honored by men as righteous rather than to be righteous before the Lord and whose abuse of the law was a cover for wickedness. In contrast to the celebrated scribes, Jesus draws his his disciples' attention to the place where people brought their temple offerings. Their attention was naturally drawn to those who were bringing in large gifts. We'll talk in a little while about why that was, but I think you can understand if you're you're just observing something and and, and you're you're looking at the crowd, the, the thing that draws your attention are the big gifts, the the significant gifts, and there were, there were reasons why you would have known the difference between a significant gift and a small gift. But, but Jesus wanted them to witness something even greater than that. He pointed them to the poor widow's offering as a greater offering in the sight of God. Not because of worldly value, but because of the heart of worship behind it. You can make the case, and it would be correct today, that the value of what she gave monetarily is essentially worthless. But Jesus, comparing her offering with those who gave significant monetary offerings, said hers is the greater offering. Not because of how you can calculate it on a ledger sheet, but because the heart behind the offering. So from the widow's offering in Jesus' teaching, I want you to see three principles today about giving to the Lord. The three principles are that giving is good, that giving is sacrificial, and that giving is a part of our, of our worship. So let's begin this morning with giving is good. The first thing I want you to just to see out of this whole exchange that Jesus teaches his disciples here is that when he observes the giving, and particularly the giving of this poor widow, He celebrates it. So I want to make the case this morning that giving is celebrated from a biblical perspective. Jesus is not teaching that that giving to the temple is to be rejected. He's not rejecting the law's commands to give. He is teaching how you should give. In other words, he's, he's pointing out there are some things that are not right about the way some are giving. But instead of rejecting the whole, he says, let me show you a better way. Let me show you how this should be done. Oftentimes when when, when confronted with corruption and misuse, you and I are tempted to reject what what is corrupted in its entirety rather than to deal with the corruption and abuse. There's a lot of corruption and abuse that's in this context. In verse 40, Jesus references that the scribes, the, the, the phrase that the English Standard Version uses is devours widows' houses and for a pretense of making long prayers. Now, what is he referencing there? By, by custom and tradition, the rule was that rabbis were not supposed to get paid for their teaching. They weren't supposed to, to, to exact a fee for them to come and teach you the law in your home or to, to give you service in your home. However, to get around that, they would accept donations. And the, the context that Jesus is pointing here to is that um, the, the, the rabbis made it a point to, 
to prey on the most vulnerable. And who, there, there is really no, more, no one more vulnerable in this cultural and time than widows. They did not have a very clear source of income. And depending on their family situation, they could be very destitute indeed. And you can understand why they would be most interested and most desperate for a good word, a good teaching, good counsel from the rabbi. And, and for the, the pretense of long, flowery prayers, the, the rabbis were known for defrauding widows of what meager income they had. Under the auspices of giving religious counsel, under the auspices of giving uh, of long prayers and help, they were, as, as Jesus says, devouring the most poor and vulnerable, their houses. That's corrupt. That's wicked. They were, different, they were befriending widows and offering long prayers while they were defrauding them of what little income they had. In verse 41, uh, Mark gives the account that, that as they sat across the treasury, uh, uh, opposite of the treasury, many rich people were putting in large sums. So we go from the warning against the scribes to this scene of people making temple offerings there. Now, now, let me paint the picture for you. They were in the widow's court, and along one of the walls there would have been these 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles where you would deposit your money into the, the chest for your temple offering. It's easy to imagine as they're sitting there watching the, the people come and make their offerings that those that had large sums to make made sure that as they deposited their money, it made as much sound and took as long as it possibly could. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? I mean, they poured it out slowly and made sure all the change and all the coins hit all the metal spots so that those around them would recognize, here's somebody who's got some money and is giving money. Why? Because there's that natural desire in us, wicked though it may be, to receive praise and honor from men rather than God. So those who were giving large sums of money wanted somebody to know that they were giving large sums of money. And Jesus points this out, not as something positive or good, but I think as a, as a dynamic of corruption, of a dynamic of something that's not as it should be. And in both of these observations, there is much to condemn. There's a lot to condemn. The scribes abuse their position to defraud the vulnerable. The rich seek glory for themselves rather than for the Lord. And a critical response would be to reject the entirety of temple offerings, but this is not what Jesus does. Now, sometimes that's our, that's our reflex. It's corrupted, it's bad. People have messed up what is good. Let's just quit the whole thing. That's not what Jesus does. While acknowledging the ugliness of sin, he points to a model of holiness. He does not reject giving, but celebrates the righteous offering of the poor widow. Man's corruption of good things does not excuse us from obeying the Lord's commands. Can I say that one more time? Man's corruption of good things does not excuse us from obeying God's commands. It's still true today. Giving today to the Lord is still full of corruption and abuse. There are those who give for reasons that are not honorable. There are those who give for things that do not please the Lord. But that does not excuse us from obeying God's commands. It is good to give sacrificially to the Lord. Giving is celebrated and giving, I think, is encouraged. There are two arguments that some have used to argue against that, that the giving should not be a part of uh, the New Testament church. Some will say, well, the law commands giving, but Christians are now under grace. Therefore, we're no longer commanded to give. 
And then others will say, well, Jesus never specifically commanded giving. However, if giving to the Lord were not to be part of the New Testament church, this would have been a moment, certainly, where Jesus would have said, this is ridiculous, we ought to stop doing this altogether. Rather than rejecting giving, Jesus points to the poor widow as an example of godly giving. In other words, instead of rejecting it altogether, he goes, that's how you're to give. Model your giving after her giving rather than the others. The details make this point all the more powerful. Verse 42 tells us that she put in two copper coins. In verse 44, Jesus gives us an important detail distinguishing her offering from the others. Where the others put in large sums that were out of their abundance, she put in two very small coins, and he says in the last part of the passage, it was all she had to live on. That may be what makes us most uncomfortable about this passage. It's not the giving, it's the amount of the giving. A practical approach would, be, would have been to excuse the widow from giving because of her need. Maybe if you were a financial advisor to her, you would say, give when you have a little bit more, but don't give the very last two things that you have. But Jesus celebrates her gift as an example to his disciples to do likewise. Jesus draws your attention to the poor widow as an encouragement to give likewise. Giving is good. It is celebrated and it is encouraged. But giving is also sacrificial. I want to make the point here that when, I, when I'm using the word giving in this context, I mean a, a gift to the Lord, not, not giving your brother, your sister, your friend a, a, something. I'm talking, this is an act of worship giving. And when you give as an act of worship, it must have a personal cost. In contrast to the large sums of others, the poor widow gave a gift of personal sacrifice. It was all that she had to live on. The rich gave large sums, but their gifts were likely donations out of their abundance, not offerings of sacrifice. Do you understand the difference? Donations, when you make a donation to someone, you give them something, but it's not, it doesn't really cost you anything. It's, it's out of your extra. It's out of your abundance. And so you give a donation, but, but sacrifice gets into that, that grocery money. <laughs> sacrifice gets into that money that you, that you need for other things. Giving to the Lord must be more than a donation. Giving to the Lord must be sacrificial. Now, if I could just stir the pot with you for a minute. Many today view worship as something to consume, not something that we give. Hear me carefully. Many today view worship as something to consume, not something that we give. Let me explain what I mean. So when you think about worship, you think, well, first of all, I need comfortable accommodations. So you're judging whether or not you're going to go here or there based on how comfortable it might be. Or convenient time and length. People will say, well, I would come more often if it was at this time. Or I'd come more often if you'd shave the service to 50 minutes or 45 minutes or 30 minutes. Or just let me drive through and wave at you. We'll talk about worship as entertaining. We want things that entertain us, that is, tailored to our preferences and style and in our style of music and in our instrumentation, in the volume, in the length, in, the, in, the, in all those sort of things. Whether or not the sermon is entertaining, does the pastor tell enough jokes? Is he, is he academic enough? Is he, is he evangelistic enough? Is he serious enough? Is he lighthearted enough? And we expect very muted expectations of offering and sacrifice when any appeal is given to giving 
service or other expectations beyond just attending. But friends, listen to me. That is a modern view of worship, but it is not a biblical view of worship. From a biblical point of view, you don't worship to receive something, you worship to give something. The biblical understanding of worship is not something you consume, but a response to the holy presence of God. When God shows up, God's people worship. Not on their time, but on God's time. Not according to their preferences, but according to his command. It is a response to God, not something you consume for your own pleasure and desire. Biblical worship is not about what, what you, it's not about what you, um, it's not about what you receive, it is about what you give to the Lord, your praise, your thanksgiving, your heart, your mind, your life, your response to his glory and his grace. And I believe that those who have known the amazing grace of Jesus will not settle for worthless and costless offerings of worship, but rather will be at the throne of God worshiping sacrificially. Because who wants to respond to the grace of God with something that costs you nothing? Giving requires a personal cost, and it is ultimately, because of that, a testimony of faith. It's interesting, three times in this passage, Jesus refers to the widow's financial situation. In verse 42 and 43, he calls her the poor widow. Now, it's interesting because widow in general would be assumed to be poor. If you're a widow, you're likely poor. So to, to double down on the reality of her situation, she's poor widow. Now, we don't know if that means that she's exceptionally poor for being a widow, but I, I think the point here is that you just didn't want to leave anything to chance. He wanted you to know this woman has nothing. Verse 44, he tells us that she gave out of her poverty and that she gave everything that she had. I, I want you to see physically what, what he was talking about here. A few years ago, a friend of mine went to Israel and and brought back to me a widow's mite. This is what the woman put in the, in the offering plate. This was dug up out of Jerusalem. It's from about the time that Jesus was teaching. She put in two of these coins. Now, I keep this in my office. I keep it in a little plastic box because it's so small that if I didn't keep it in a plastic box, it'd get lost. But I want you to understand something. This right here is not even worth a penny. Some of you don't bend over to pick up pennies, do you? <laughs> it's not worth your effort. Most of your modern translations will use the word in your translation that, that two of these equal a penny. Now, the, the word behind penny in your, in your English translations is, is referencing some Roman uh, denominations there, but, but here's how it works. The, the single copper coin is worth about one twenty-eighth of a denarii. One denarii was equal to one day's wage for a labor. So she had two. So what is that? One sixty-fourth of a day's labor. That's all she had. She didn't even have a penny to her name. And that's all she had to live on. And the same rules applied in her day as it applies in our day. There were some in her day that wouldn't bend over to pick up this. That's why it was found in Jerusalem today. Somebody dropped it and thought, it's all right. I'm not bending over for that. I 
she had little. You might even say she had nothing. But she gave all that she had to the Lord as an act of worship and as an act of faith. You see, her faith was in the provision of God, not the provision of money. God had provided for her to have the offering that she gave, and the Lord would provide for her needs. Friends, too often, what you give to the Lord is determined by your faith in your ability to manage what you have, rather than your faith in the Lord to provide for you. It's why this passage makes us so uncomfortable. We're more comfortable with the rich people giving big sums than we are with the poor woman giving all that she has because that scares us. Friends, give to God as a testimony of your faith in his provision. Do you believe he can provide for you? Giving is good, giving is sacrificial, and friends, giving is an act of worship. It is ultimately, primarily, an offering to God. As Jesus and the disciples sat down opposite the treasury and observed the people giving their offerings, what drew their attention, naturally, I think, were the ones that were giving the large sums. That's what I would pay attention to. Isn't it funny? Have you ever been in those conversations? It seems like everybody knows who else in the community has money. You ever had those conversations? Some guy in the room will say, well, he's got plenty. She's never had to work. How do they all know this? But somehow everybody knows who's got all the money. And so as they're, I, I think the first century is, would be similar to ours. They're sitting across the, the, uh, fr- from the treasury and they're just observing. And you know the one that everybody believes got all the money. When they walk up, they will go, well, yeah, it's not a big deal for him. My reading of the passage is, is that Jesus intentionally had to draw their attention to the poor widow. I, I doubt her offering made a very big splash. I'm pretty confident that very few people paid much attention to her. You could slip two of these little coins down the little trumpet-shaped receptacle without many people noticing. You could probably toss them in without little eff- with little effort. Jesus valued her offering greater than the ones who had more because of the heart behind the gift. Friends, two of these little copper coins did not change the, the, the ledger of the temple treasury at all. Can we be honest with that? Today, if all you have is a penny and you put that in the offering plate, it's not going to financially change the the reality of our church budget at all. And yet Jesus says that's the greater offering. The poor widow gave an offering to the Lord, not a gift for the glory of man. That's the difference. Because Jesus receives the two little copper coins better because they were given to God rather than large gifts that were given for the appeal and the applause of men. It's the heart behind it. She was giving to the Lord. They were giving for the accolades of men. The poor widow desired to honor the Lord, not to earn standing of importance before men. The rich were giving for the praise of men, but the widow was giving for the glory of God. Friends, listen to me. Give not for the applause of men, but for the pleasure and the praise of God alone. You ought to give in secret. 
You ought to slide that gift in where nobody sees so that the Lord knows and is pleased with your sacrifice. Give as an offering to God and give ultimately as a testimony of worship. Now, if I haven't stirred the Kool-Aid yet, I'm going to stir it now. Because here's the bottom line. What you worship, what you give to, is what you value the most. Or said in reverse, what you value the most is what you worship. What you value the most will receive the most precious sacrifices that you have. Now, here's where we are today. You're hearing me preach a sermon about giving, and, and you're hearing me talk about giving. And I hope you're understanding I'm talking about giving to the Lord. But I want to tell you this morning, you're already sacrificing to something. You're worshiping something today. It may be the Lord, it may be something else, but you're sacrificing for, you're worshiping something, and you're giving to something. Because all of you in your lives have things that you love and you value, and there's a rank, there's a hierarchy there. The testimony of what your heart worships is found in what you give your greatest resources to. Where do you sacrifice your time? What consumes your attention? What has captured your heart's devotion? Where do you surrender happily your money? To what do you give your service to? What does your calendar testify about what you love? What does your checkbook testify about what you love? Friends, listen to me. You're sacrificing for something today. You're devoting your life to something today. It's something that you love. It's something you cherish. But here's the sad, heartbreaking truth. For some of you, you are worshiping and sacrificing and devoting and giving to things that will not last past tomorrow. Hear me carefully when I say this next thing. Giving to the Lord is not first an issue of money. And if you think it is, you've missed the whole point. If it was about money, Jesus would have made a distinction between these two little copper coins and the larger gifts. Giving is first an issue of worship. Because whatever you worship, your money will follow. Whatever you worship, your heart will follow. Whatever you worship, your time and your service, your sacrifice will follow. Get your heart right. And your wallet and your calendar and everything else will get right too. Be courageous givers for the glory of God. In 1889... January the 4th, a man by the name of Thomas Nelson died and they buried him in an unmarked grave. And the reason why they did that is because he was so deep in debt that his family was afraid that if his burial place was known that his debtors would get his body and hold it as collateral until his debts were paid. But Thomas Nelson had not always been 
a poor man. In fact, he had been a rather wealthy man. But he had also been one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And had devoted his life, his treasure, and everything he had to the cause of the the revolution. As the war was progressing, uh, the British took control of his home. And they did it for a couple of reasons. His home was certainly militarily strategic. But the British knew that Nelson had given a lot of his own money uh, to, to the militia. He had loaned a lot of money to his state. And they were pretty confident that the, that the Americans would not fire on the home of their benefactor, even if it was controlled by the British. Nelson realized this. And he personally went to George Washington and encouraged him to turn the cannons toward his home. In fact, it was said that their cannons were not even facing the enemy's headquarters because they didn't want to damage the home of their benefactor. Tradition says, whether or not this is true, that Nelson offered a cash reward for the first soldier who could hit his home with a cannonball. They did turn their cannons. They did fire on his home, and they destroyed his home. The rest of his life, he would, uh, he would live, but because of his service in the war and because the government never repaid him some of the loans that he had given, when it came to the end of his life, he died essentially penniless in debt, not because of bad financial management, but because of the devastating cost of what he gave to the revolution. He was asked toward the end of his life if he felt embittered about how he had been treated. And his statement was, I would do it all again. Now we honor men like that because we recognize that he was willing to give a great cost, a great sacrifice for something he loved and something he cherished. I think he gave a worthy sacrifice. But friends, the grace of God is better than a revolution. The hope of salvation is better than a political movement. The promise of eternity is so much more significant than what is happening on the ground. How much more should our hearts be sacrificial and generous towards the cause of Christ who sets us free from sin and gives us the hope of eternal life? Brothers and sisters, I encourage you today to be purposeful and courageous givers, not because you have to, Not even because you ought to, but because of the amazing grace that allows you to. God has given you more than you'll ever give to him. And as a response of worship, let us be givers for the glory of God. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, 
go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 10.30 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.